everybody out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the details of the galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac, and I'm joined by my fellow Holocron Keeper, Ross. Mac, it is fantastic to be here today, because today we're talking about a character whose legacy has no bounds who has been brought to the forefront of people's minds with a brand new Funko Pop announcement. Ooh. The the important thing, the things that truly <laughs> define what is and isn't canon. The mass menace, the Jedi turned dark, turned light, turned dark, turned light again. The Rivenist... The the Rivenist's icon, the Riven Crest, the prodigal knight. Revan. Revan. And there's a lot to talk about here. So Revan is uh, the name of the third legion of the Sith Eternal Stormtroopers. Yeah. So uh, one of the legions yeah. in the Sith Eternal Empire yeah. we see in the events of Rise of Skywalker yeah. is what we're going to be talking about. Um, they appear in the Visual Dictionary and... Um, Okay, that's our show. Yeah, yeah. That's the canon resources on Revan. Bye. Are they still here? Did anyone stick around? They might want to know. I mean, I guess we could talk about the Legends content. Okay, so there's a little bit more. Stick around right after this, and we'll tell you about Legends. So let's get into this. Let's okay. Let's set the ground rules. Let's just start where most stories should start at the beginning. In the middle, with intermittent flashbacks to the beginning. I mean, in our particular that what... fandom, that is kind of what we started. Without flashbacks, we didn't have those yeah. until the sequel trilogy. But you yeah. know, I hear what you're saying. Well, I was actually thinking of Revan's story more than anything because even there, isn't that where we start in the <sighs> middle? Um. Yes. So. But okay. Today, no, today we will start at the beginning. So uh, let's just say here right off the bat that Mac has far more experience with the character of Revan because Mac owned an Xbox when he was little and Ross did not. So I uh, was never able to play Knights of the Old Republic mm -hmm. or Knights of the Old Republic 2. And I've also really never owned a PC in my life, so I have never played the Old Republic. So just to kind of let you know where I'm coming from on this. I think the funny thing about it is like, yes, I played all three of the games that we're going to be talking about that include Revan. And ironically, I also was in for this game because it's set in the 25,000 or 4,000 years before the Battle of Yavin timeline. It's a little bit further along on that. But yeah. like that those game series were were drawing notes from um, the 
Tales of the Jedi series published by Dark Horse in the mid to early 90s. And that is one of my favorite parts of fandom. Uh, it's a lonely part. It's me and a handful of other people were really into it before this video game. Um, and I'm very knowledgeable about that. I'm pretty knowledgeable about the video games. And then I hear he's in a book and a comic book. And I go, that's really interesting. I know almost nothing about that except what I read in research for this episode. Well, that's okay because I have read that book. I have read some of those comics and read summaries about the rest. So I think between us, we should be able to piece together a half-decent history of this uh, sort of beloved, uh, but still shrouded in mystery character that I think a lot of people uh, on the outskirts looking in uh, may not be familiar with. Yeah, so let me stage set the stage here a little bit. So... Tales of the Jedi was this comic book, and it told the tale of Ula Kaldrama and Exar Kun primarily by the end of it. And by the end of it, they had waged a war across the galaxy of Sith Lords trying to take over the, the entire galaxy with the support of various groups, such as the um, Empress Tal Seti system, the... Um, uh, the Mandalorians had come under their banner, and they'd had a number of different things. And so the galaxy had been in complete upheaval until Nomi Sunrider locks down Ulik, Axar Kun gets attached to a temple on Yavin 4, and the galaxy goes back to peace. But of course it didn't, because about three, what is it, I think it's 300 years or so later, or it's a handful of years later, um, we have a new war show up, what's referred to as the Mandalorian Wars. And that is where our character of Revan shows up on the stage. Revan is, and his um, apprentice are sort of like heroes of that war. Yeah, so this is essentially the first, um, how should we put this? The first major conflict we sort of see here. Um with our character. It's where we learn a little bit more about kind of, his origin, let's say, because, you know, when we first meet him as fans, we meet him well after this. So this is all story yeah. that's kind of given to us and built up through different source material in years following. Right. So none of this is really even stuff we know about Revan initially. Right. Right. And so what happens here in the Mandalorian Wars is, well, first off, it's an extremely violent war. Revan leads away an, uh, an army, essentially a dissenting army of Jedi, basically takes them away from the Order and goes in to fight Mandalore the Ultimate and his forces. And there are lots of huge battles. Many people are dying, both uh, Mandalorians and Jedi, well, mm -hmm. you know, the Jedi that are there fighting and the Republic soldiers and whatnot. And, you know, there are uh, Mandalorians kind of on both sides, too. So it's this huge intergalactic conflict. Right. And at this point, you also have to understand that the Sith have not been really seen in the galaxy. The Sith are believed to be extinct. So it's not like the Jedi are also warring with another faction. You know, mm -hmm. this is essentially the Mandalorians trying to destabilize the Republic or the Jedi are trying to protect, right? Yeah. And I'm sorry, let me correct something. I just skipped in my notes. Not 300 years. It's six years. This is the direct aftermath of what Uluk and, Uluk and our Exercoon set up. It's the remnants of the Mandalorians are like, we're fighting the galaxy. And then their load-bearing bosses die. The, the Sith, the dark Jedi, as the Jedi would see it, the Sith Lords die. And then they're like, 
well, we're already spread across the galaxy. We're going to sack it. And so the rest of the Jedi are like, well, the business of this of the Dark Lords is over. We can probably hope that this will all go away. As like people like Revan are just like, no, they're not going to go on their way on their own. We got to drive them back mm-hmm. the, from the galaxy. So, mm-hmm. And what Raven, we come to learn later, but to kind of put this all in chronological order rather than in release order to make it make sense, is that these Mandalorians, specifically Mandalore the Ultimate, was sort of coaxed into leading an attack into the galaxy. They were kind of convinced that the Republic was off balance and they needed to kind of be destabilized and overthrown uh, by a dark force from outside the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And Revan learns this after he defeats Mandalore the Ultimate. Now let's talk about that character a little bit because we've been throwing that name around. So Mandalore the Ultimate is essentially this character who was the ruler of Mandalore. And mm-hmm. essentially uh, the mask that he wore is what gave him that kind of sacred right uh, to rule. And that's what made him that ruler. And so uh, Revan eventually they challenged each other to single combat. And Revan, Revan uh, emerged victorious. Yep. And that is what allowed him to essentially end the war. Right, which ironically is essentially the same way that the Mandalorians got involved in the war in the first place was, I believe, um, is the Sith Lords challenged Mandalore and brought him to heal. And the Mandalorians at this point are not a creed, as we will find in The Mandalorian. They're um, they're a cobbled together thing, mostly um, grouped up by a species called the Song. T-S-U-N-G, if I remember correctly. And the thing about them is, like, Mandalore the Ultimate is one of these. And so it's much more of a war warlord culture where, oh, you beat me. You're king now. Like, that's sort of what happened with Revan is by defeating the Ultimate. I mean, when you defeat a guy called the Ultimate, don't you necessarily <laughs> must become the Ultimate now? Yes. I, I mean, I guess you do, right? Yeah. Now, here's the thing about this. When the battle is over, because Mandalore has no ruler, their whole infrastructure is essentially destabilized. Right. They fall into chaos and, uh, you know, warring among themselves, their own tribe, warring with each other. Tons of them just going off to other walks of life, just becoming, you know, drifters, mercenaries, that kind of thing. And that's sort of... I'm just going to state something that I, I just generally have a strange issue with is... When they started the Tales of the Republic 4,000 years before, right, they'd set up a really different feeling universe. And one of the first things they did, and we've we've been backfilling this canon ever since, or canon, backfilling this story because it's legends now, um, <laughs> of Knights of the Republic is trying to obviously invoke what more people are familiar with, your movies, right? And so one of the weird things about it is there's a lot of technological and cultural things that happen really fast that you just kind of got to go with so that it feels more like normal Star Wars. So, like I said, the Mandalorians are made up of these, like, predator-looking dudes called the Song. You've got, like, the the true Sith, which are these, like, blood-red maroon critters from outside the galaxy that are part of the acolytes of, like, these dark Jedi and all this kind of stuff. And we got, like... Well, we got to clean it up. So all the dark acolytes, they're going to be human because that's what the Emperor had. And hey, the Mandalorians, they're all going to be cool mercenaries because well, that's what Mandalorians should be. And they wrote really good stuff around it. But like one of the things about the Mandalorians is they're scattered to the winds just because after essentially two unsuccessful campaigns and two conquerings in a row, <laughs> like 
no one can hold up the mantle of Mandalore anymore. So they all, they're just infighting. It's the how the great houses and the clans just unable to work together anymore. And a big reason being for that is because Revan takes the mask from Mandalore the Ultimate and hides it away. Him and Malak go and they hide it away. Yeah. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. But essentially, that is what causes the Mandalorians to be destabilized after the end of the war. Mm-hmm. Now, you would think that, hey, the war is over. Revan was successful. Uh, you know, they can all go and they can be happy together. But instead, Revan and Malik decide that they need to figure out what caused this. What caused this war to happen? Where did these Mandalorians come from like this? Why did they decide all of a sudden to attack the Republic, right? It doesn't make any sense. Now, there is one other thing I want to point out here, and that is uh, one of Revan's, uh, shall we say, first dissenters, one of the first people to leave the Order and come fight with him against the Mandalorians, and that's Mitra Surik. She is another Jedi mm-hmm. who uh, was very close with Revan. She's very powerful. And during the Mandalorian Wars, um, there's <laughs> essentially this big doomsday weapon that uh, is... Well, unleashed, and it kills a lot of people. And uh, Mitra basically shields herself off from the Force because she can feel all the pain that the weapon is causing among the Mandalorians and all the people who are sort of trapped within its radius. She was very close to it. Right. And uh, so she sort of shuts herself off from the Force. So after the war, instead of going with Malak, she sort of leaves the Order. And that's it. She just sort of walks away because she no longer has power. Now, Revan doesn't know this because, you know, she went back to Coruscant. Him and Malak left the Mandalorians, you know, and the world they kind of left devastated behind to go find out what happened outside the galaxy. You know, what? where did this sort of evil originate from? Yeah, again, because, again, bolting on some of my knowledge, like, all of this starts on Korriban, which is the furthest out, like, furthest into the galaxy, like in proximity, outpost of this great Sith Empire. Yeah, and which remember, no one knows exists. No, no, I know that, yeah. but I'm saying like, oh no, I know like, you know that. I'm reminding our audience. So like, what they're hunting for is they don't know that people like Ula Kaldroma and the Dark Jedi's that have been running around the galaxy, they're generally thought extinct, are holding these tomes, talismans, books, and all this kind of stuff. And these two, um, basically these two idiots uh, who are just trying to figure out hyperspace lanes, find Korriban, which lets whatever's beyond the galaxy know, hey, there's people over here. And they go, what, on the outskirts of our empire? Why? (laughs) And it starts a series of chain reactions that Revan is about to become part of, of, yes, there is something out there you don't know about, and you really don't want to incur its wrath. (laughs) Yeah, it is interesting, right? I mean, imagine, just to get an idea, imagine a world just like the Republic, so their capital, you know, there's a capital just like Coruscant called Droman Cass, and Mm -hmm. they're, they're basically... Uh, a whole civilization, worlds, people with jobs and responsibilities and all that build up just like the Republic in the neighboring galaxy. Yeah. And their reigning force is the Sith instead of the Jedi. That's basically what it is. Right. At the end of the day. I mean, it's an empire. It's a dictatorship, you know, just like the empire that we learn about well, it's, later. It's you what know. the empire wanted to be. Yeah. It's it's a prayer, a, a, a very cruel but fair. I mean, and I mean fair in the sense of the weak 
weak serve and the strong rule. But if you're strong enough, you can go kill a strong guy and become a strong guy. You can <laughs> very much. I mean, move up the pecking order. I, I mean, th- let's put it this way: the the path of ambition is always clear. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of unspoken rules among the Sith about it, and uh, other than that, they just kind of. You know, play their game and try and uh, grasp for power. So, as Revan and Malak, they basically go out towards the edges of the known galaxy. What happens out there, Mac? Essentially, they're captured, right? Right. So, well, <laughs> basically, they they that's an easy way to sum they, it up. They learn some information that there's this whole civilization of uh, Sith that they're led by their emperor. Um, I, you know, I have, have trouble spell, uh, saying this. It's like Vate, V I T A. I think that's a noble effort at it. Vatati. It's it's Vatati. It's a word that's meant to be written, not said. Yeah, and you have any Let's put this way: if, no, no, if we were playing Knights of the Republic and we were saying that word, they would try a different word. Yeah. They, they would go. Uh, they would workshop a better one that's easier to say. No, because it's it's got too many consonants from when I remember looking at it. It's like, I think Vatay. Yeah, I go with that. You think that sounds fair? It's close enough. I don't have it in my notes, so I can't look at it. But like, I know exactly what well, word you're about talking about. We just call him the Emperor. That's what everyone else does. Yeah, I mean, really, they don't say it much. Um, and for some, well, there are other things too. But yeah, basically, because I don't uh, think it's ever said in, in the old Republic. Anyway, your guess is good as mine there. Uh, so <laughs> we uh, basically Revan Malik. They go to the outskirts of the galaxy. They enter into the Sith Empire. They go and they try and attack the Emperor, and he is just too powerful. He completely mm-hmm. overwhelms them, and he essentially manipulates their minds. Yes. And he sends them back into the galaxy as a second probing force. And he and this is where Revan eventually learns that this was the purpose of the Mandalorians. The Sith corrupted them and used them as a probing force to text test the strength of the Republic. Basically, the Emperor is smart. He's been ruling for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. He does not want to, <laughs> you know, rush into a conflict he can't win. So he literally used the Mandalorians as mercenaries, essentially, by corrupting them. Right. To force them to test the strength of the Republic. So because of this, um, you know, they were able to learn all about the skill of the Republic. And then when Revan and Malik come here to uh, meet with the Emperor and he takes control of them, he learns a lot more information about the Republic and sends Revan and Malik to attack. And this is where we pick up in the Knights of the Old Republic video game. So, Mac, I think we're going to take a quick break here. Okay. And uh, come back. So let's hop on the Ibn Hawk and uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to part two of our Revan special. Now, at this point, we essentially enter Revan and Malak attacking the known galaxy. 
Yeah. Right. And this is what we see at the very, very dawn of the game is essentially flashback style. We see the end of that conflict. Somehow they kind of just pop in. They have a bunch of ships. They have an entire army of troopers and tons of robots. And they just start sacking the um, the Republic, which is still licking their wounds from the Mandalorian Wars. So they're not really ready for this. And the whole thing about it is everything looks like Revan and Malak are going to win. They're going to defeat the Republic. They are like right at the tipping point. And then it stops. It stops. Revan's, de- Revan's defeated. Malak turns tail, takes his troops and disappears into the galaxy. And we're okay, Shrug? So how is Revan defeated, right? Doesn't he have a little help from uh, some other Jedi friends? So we see the Jedi storm the bridge of their control ship. And in the course of the game, just is it's one of the mysteries of Revan gets defeated. And everyone's like, well, how did you get on the ship? How did you get to how did how did this all work? Like, it doesn't seem to make sense. How, well, specifically, it doesn't make sense to see how Revan got killed. And then Malik, who is on the same bridge, doesn't. <laughs> you know, like, it's it's a strange little thing. And that's one of the central mysteries of the game is trying to figure out what, what Malik's been up to. Why did he turn tail? Why is he biding his time? What is going on with his forces? Because... When we open the game, the next thing you know is you pick up your player character who is, you know, you kind of define them however you want. And they can be like a, a kind of like roguish scoundrel. They can be a uh, a, a um, fighter and they can be a um, um, I'm trying to remember, actually, what is the third class? I think it's scout, scoundrel and and soldier are the three classes. Anyway, you end up on this thing called the Endar Spire, which is the ship that's going down. So the game starts really with you go going like, hey, buddy, the ship's going down. We need to get off of this. We've been attacked by the Jarjanic forces. Who knows why they're back? But Malik's really p- pissed and he's shooting at us and this sucks. And you're like, I just got here. This is my like first day on the job. What are we doing? And you go through a series of events where you get with the captain of, of the ship who's... Um, uh, uh, Karth, Karth Onassi. I couldn't remember his name for a second. And you basically escape to the planet Tarsus, and you find that Tarsus is occupied. So apparently, Revan's forces didn't crumple as much as we thought they did. They've been controlling various parts of the galaxy. Malak's forces, like, while seemingly not nearly as powerful now that Revan is gone, they are still, they didn't disappear. And you're dealing with Tarsus and the Sith occupation, and it goes through through you solving all kinds of problems on that that planet until by the very end you find a way out. You steal this ship called the Ebon Hawk, and you find out about that there's these star maps. Now these star maps lead to to a place where apparently all the Sith forces are located. How how are the Sith getting this army? How did they build up so fast? And they're giving you these clues about like, well, the star maps are going to teach us and they're all on these planets and uh, the star maps are dated for like 10,000 years ago. They're ancient and all this kind of stuff. And you, you work things out and you, you know, f- save um, your Jedi commander, the commander of this group of forces, Bastila Shan, and she um, is really wary of you for some reason, and just, like, making sure, like, what, you put this all together? It's like, yeah, I'm trying to save the galaxy. I'm like, yeah, but why? I'm like, 
it's the right thing to do, lady. I don't know. Shrug. Um, and you escape Tarsus, which is good because Malak's forces start shooting cannons at it until they glass the thing. They orbitally bombard the planet till it's destroyed. And primarily to get you and your friends is like the underpinning of why. And that starts a whole journey where you're going and unlocking these star maps and you're finding out how old they are because you go to like Tatooine and it talks about like in the jungles of Tatooine, you will find a, uh, the, the look out at endless desert in all directions. Jungle? <laughs> um, and as you get the star maps and collect more and more friends, the thing that keeps coming up is you have this profound influence on everyone around you. People are being led by you. You were just some low-ranking, you know, crew member of this random ship. And the captain of that ship, a Jedi commander, and all of these other people are starting to respect your authority and, you know, is getting closer and closer to, um, you know, full loyalty to you as you lead them in a charge against Malik's forces. And you keep having flashbacks and these flashbacks are to the end of the war because you find out that apparently your character was there to witness the, the, the defeat of Revan and the escape of Malak. And it's always fuzzy and it's always weird. And like Bastila tells you not to worry about it. And everyone's like, ah, don't dwell too much on the past. I'm sure it has a meaning, but you'll figure it out. And it all comes to a head of, I think it's after you collect two or three of the star maps, you end up with Malak interdicting your ship and you end up on his star destroyer and you fight your way through. And then when you come face to face with Malak, your memories become overwhelming as you realize that Revan didn't die. You are Revan. <laughs> and that's the whole twist of the game bum, bum, bum. is that you are are Revan. When Revan was defeated, Revan was basically taken away and the Jedi Council had this idea of what... Oh, okay, I'm going to be referring to what we think now. <laughs> the Emperor's Sith brainwashing of you may not be permanent. What if we cleanse it away? Can we get back to the Revan who was the hero of the Mandalorian Wars? Can we get you back to a noble member of society? So they essentially try what equates to a force lobotomy. Um... <laughs> And basically try to carve away this destructive presence in Revan's mind. And that's where you as a player character start. You choose the new identity Revan is living under. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Basically placed on that starship just to kind of get his bearings, right? To sort of yep. assimilate himself back into society until the Jedi can understand is this person can even still access the Force. You know? And depending on how you play the game, it's got a you know a good bad guy mechanic. So it's kind of either you come back to the light and as your force powers emerge and you get a lightsaber and you become a force wielder again, you start either becoming the Jedi you were always supposed to be, or you could look at it as repenting. You become a good person again in this new life. Or you start falling back to your old ways. You start embracing the dark side. You know, whatever change happened to you was permitted and it persists into this new life. Um, and you have some interesting perspectives. Um, you know, like there's a gray Jedi among you who's basically just talking about like, well, maybe it doesn't have to be light or dark. Maybe it could be somewhere in the middle, you know, and you're going through all of this stuff. And what it ends up happening is Malak is unhinged. Whether you're a dark emperor, you know, a dark sider looking at your, 
your apprentice and seeing his flaws. Or you're the light sider saying, I don't want to do this anymore. He needs to be stopped. One way or the other, Malik at this point is trying his dangdest to finish this mission, to conquer the galaxy with these weapons that they have. Because, again, recontextualized into the modern way we see the story, the Emperor is going to really be PO'd if they don't do their job, right? And the loss of Revan probably is cracking his mind because when Malik finds out that you are Revan and kind of informs you of like, hey, I know you, you're the, you're... You're my master. Don't you remember? Um, While you have an identity crisis, he has a crap. If he does get his memories back, I'm going to go back to being second banana. And I don't want to be second banana anymore. (laughs) And it leads to the showdown where after you collect all the star maps, you find out the source of all of this, which is there is a group called the Infinite Empire, uh, the Rataka. And the Rataka have this planet. And around that planet is their ultimate weapon called the Starforge. And the Starforge is essentially a hyper-manufacturing planet. It's this giant installation that can create thousands upon thousands of of ships every day. Hundreds of troops. Star Destroyers. It can build all of these things incredibly fast. And that is where, where we find out that Malak and Revan had already found these star maps. And that's how they made their first play against the galaxy you know, the first wave of their assault before they had to retreat after Revan's fall is this species had this incredible, powerful army maker. And then you meet the Rataka and then it's this kind of goofy thing of the Rataka are stupid and primitive now. Somewhere along the road, their empire failed and there's the relics of it, but they essentially devolved over the 10,000 years or whatever since those star maps were placed. And they're just kind of primitive. Mm. Um, And as such, you're like, all right, how do we stop your weapon? What weapon? The one in orbit of your planet. We do not look beyond the skies. Sorry, pardon what? (laughs) (laughs) And it all leads to you just going... Well, this is Star Wars. We'll blow it up. Guys, we're going to go onto the Star Forge. We're going to go to the heart of it, and we'll find the thing that causes the chain reaction. There's always a thing that causes the chain reaction that will blow the thing to hell. Let's do it. And Revan goes in there and becomes the hero of the galaxy because defeats Malak, destroys the Star Forge, ends the Sith Sith threat right then and there, um, causes a cascade that destroys essentially all those forces, and we leave with Revan with like Basila by his side, all and all of his friends essentially walking away from that conflict, proving that he has redeemed himself now whether it's out of his own personal malice if you played a dark side or whether it's for the good of the old galaxy if you played a light side or didn't really matter it still ends up with the same place of malik has to be stopped and you do it gotcha and that's all at the end of part one knights of the old republic one or knights of the old republic two so that's all of knights of the old republic one basically what i just described is essentially in very broad yeah. strokes the events of that game gotcha so that game ends with you basically blowing up the Star Forge. Correct. And coming back to the Jedi Council and stuff, yeah. and the Jedi Council going like, oh, so you defeated Malak. That's good. And then again, different endings depending on whether you defeated him for your own reasons or for the good of the galaxy. Now, tell us, does Malak die there on the Star Forge? Yes. Okay. Well, he dies in you killing him. Like yeah. you, you defeat him in combat. Yeah. He's the final boss of the game. Yeah, right. 
Because doesn't Revan also uh, take out part of Malak's face at one point? So actually, from what I know, that's before that's before the events of the game. And as far as I know, that is actually I think in current canon when I did my research, that happens at some point during the Sith Empire stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha is yes, okay. he loses his lower jaw. His jaw is unhinged from yeah. where the jawbone connects to the skull. Yeah, and he's basically put a prosthetic there that's kind of bulky and clumsy. Gotcha. But gotcha. gives him a very unique look. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So then let's go into uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2. What do, what do we have in there with Revan? So what happens is kind of fascinating. You start the game, you're basically on this mining colony that's falling apart, and you're somebody. <laughs> you don't know who. You build your character from scratch, and you... Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, and, like, the first, like, companion you find does this great thing of, like, they're like, Hey, who are you? And they're like, uh, I'm just trying to make my way out. Like, well, help me out. I'll, I'll help you. It's like, uh, awesome. It's like, man, the galaxy has been crazy with all the stuff with like, you know, Malak and the Sith and Re- Revan. And they're like, oh, what do you know about it? Like, well, I don't, I mean, I don't know mu- much, you know, Revan's just this guy who uh, attacked the galaxy guy. And then you can basically just tell him and correct his story of whether it was a man or a woman, whether they were light side or dark side and sort of just through that conversation, fill in the gaps of what was your Revan like when you played episode, you know, uh, part one, because it wouldn't be until the Mass Effect trilogy. We had this idea of we would carry the saves forward. So you kind of had to fill in the blanks. And once you get off that planet, you um, uh, through a series of events, you end up sort of going back into the footsteps of Revan. So after the events um, of the first game, Revan essentially goes, something happened to me outside the galaxy and I can't piece together all of what it was. My mind is too fractured. I can't remember everything I, of what I was when I was Revan. I know I don't want to necessarily be Revan again. I am this new person now and maybe I am Revan again and maybe I'm not, again, depending on which ending you chose. But the point of the matter is I need to go find myself. So takes a ship and goes beyond the borders of the known galaxy. And that's the last time pretty much anyone has seen them. And you end up sort of going in the footsteps of Revan trying to go like, what was Revan trying to find out? What was this power beyond the edge of the galaxy that is causing all this influence on current events? And it gets kind of crazy because the thing about your character is you find out that you were sort of your own special you're one of the devotees of Revan who followed him and Malak into battle during the Mandalorian Wars. And you were a full-fledged supporter of, like, we need to stop at the Jedi Council is weak. We're all going to leave the Jedi Council because they're stupid. And we're going to go fight this battle. And at the end, when Revan falls, you essentially went, no, dude, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not going to be a dark Jedi. I'm not, I'm not going that far, dude. That's... We beat the Mandalorians. I feel good about things. But the Jedi Council basically says like, well, yeah, but you can't rejoin us. Why? Dude, you you left us in like hot protest of everything that we were doing. We can't trust you. And you have this magic special ability. Well, what's that? You have the power to change the force auras, change the personalities of the people around you. Your influence is incredibly powerful which is just mostly powering the thing that in the game of if you go dark side, you can start pulling all of your other companions, their alignments towards yours. So you can influence uh, your party, but they make it that like your force energy 
greatly influences the people around you. And they were scared of you, essentially, like if you were a Revanite, if you were a, a follower of Revan, that you would leave even more Jedi down the dark path if you were able to do that. So they sort of cut you loose. Interesting. Okay. And you have, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, you have this old sage-like woman with you who is a Jedi, but she's got really weird opinions on, on all of this stuff. Cause she's not like, she's not dark side and light side. And like, unlike your great companion from the first game, she's like basically always telling you you're wrong. No matter what you're doing, she's just saying you're not following your path. Like no matter what you're doing. Um, and what kind of goes on is you start piecing together that what Revan and Malik happened to them is they went beyond the galaxy and something changed them. And when they came back, they were what you knew them as the dark Jedi and Revan somehow his experiences in the first game made him better. Now I keep saying him because one thing that we should really like write out is Revan is a human male. Now, one of the things that was very important about Revan's history up to this point was Revan was your player character. So they could be a guy, they could be a gal, they could be, you know, any one of those classes, they could be whatever race you wanted them to be based on your choices of picking mm-hmm. a portrait and deciding what your character was like. And for a really long time in the extended universe, Revan always wore really deep hoods when they were a Jedi and they wore a mask when they were a Sith. And you had no idea who that person was because they didn't want to muss with the fact that the whole point of it was you you were Revan. You, the player character, get to choose how all that is. And so by the end of the this game, we end up on Malachor. And Malachor, specifically 5, is this broken ruin of a planet that's like right on the point of total ecological collapse. And you're there because you're like, something happened here that caused Revan and Malak to go and seek what would become the Sith. This has to be the place where it all started because this is where the last battle of the Mandalorian Wars happened. This is where they changed. And basically what you find is there is a, a holy ground there that gives you coordinates to the heart of the Sith empire. What we would call dormant costs now, but we didn't know it at the time of the release of the game. And Malachor 5, uh, as many people say, is Nice Lord Republic 2, fantastic game. At the very end, very rushed. Uh, they ran out of time. So um, uh, Kreia, the, the the old Jedi, Jedi sagey woman, uh, basically walks you through like all of your endings and all of the possibilities in voiceover because that's what they could afford to do. They couldn't animate any of that. They couldn't do a lot. And it's what gave us this hint of there is an empire stronger than you can imagine that is on the edge of the galaxy and that Revan needed to go out there and find it. And once Revan had retraced their steps, they found out that the galaxy isn't ready. And so many of their plans on the underside were getting the galaxy ready. You know, hey, we're going to attack you with the Star Forge, but in secret, I'm doing that because... I need you to militarize. I need you to get ready because the star, you know, the star forges forces are only a minor bit of what the empire has. So even as a dark Jedi, Revan's sort of like underpinnings, at least in the stated in that game are like, even as a dark guy, I'm like, I'm taking you over for the right reasons. I'm whipping you into a strong empire. Cause that's the only way we will survive their inevitable evasion. 
Interesting. Interesting. So as someone who's never played Knights of the Old Republic 2, I had no idea that was the story. Well, again, the primary story is your player character, but like yeah. the things that make it part two of a two-part story is finding out about these underpinnings of Revan's actual motives yeah. and ideas. And and one of the central mysteries of the game is, where is Revan? Why did Revan disappear? Why did Revan not stick around? Because like Bastila comes in your, your party and Bastila, depending on what you did, could have been romanced, could have been the one true love of Revan, the way things went. And she's just like, well, you know, he... I'll say canon. He he had things he needed to do, things that were really important. <laughs> yeah. Huh. This is all fascinating. Okay. So next then, I guess we should talk about Revan's journey outside of the Galactic Republic. Agreed. All right. So we should maybe take our last break here. Let's do it. Yes, now looking at it in the overall story, a second trip beyond the galaxy. <laughs> yes. All right. So now we're kind of exiting video game territory where the character really got his start. Right. And we've gone through a lot of the kind of comic stuff where some of the backstory was filled in. Now we're going to talk about uh, the Old Republic novel, just simply titled Revan. That takes place uh, a couple of years after the end of the events of the first Knights of the Old Republic, it sounds like, based yes. on uh, everything I just learned from Mac about Knights of the Old Republic 2. So this is where uh, my knowledge comes in a little bit more because I read this novel and Mac has not. I have not. So let's go in and let's just start at the beginning here. Now, uh, their book has a prologue that's essentially Revan waking up from a dream or a vision. He's not really sure which. He believes that the evil he and Malak encountered uh, that turned them to the dark side in the outer room is still out there and that more darkness will come. He still thinks he should ask the count. Uh, sorry, Bastilla, who is his wife. So Bastilla Sean, Mac mentioned her. So again, in canon, Bastilla and, um, and Revan... One true pairing. That, yes, yes. And they, uh, well, let me not get ahead of myself. So Bastilla thinks he should, you know, ask the council for help, but he disagrees. Now, him and Bastilla are married and they are living on their own on Coruscant outside of the Jedi Temple mm -hmm. because the Jedi Masters, especially some of the older Masters, uh, don't believe that that's appropriate. And, you know, they granted Revan the rank of Master when he came back. Uh, but it's really more ceremoniously. They know he's a very powerful force user. They know that he is a symbol of hope to the galaxy. So mm -hmm. they didn't want to kick him out of the order. But since he wasn't a practicing Jedi, uh, he's something more than that or different from that now. It's complicated. He wasn't allowed back. It's complicated. Exactly. So Revan, you know, played kind of by these visions of this planet kind of constantly surrounded by storms and shadows, uh, believing that it's this evil warning that he has, goes out to seek his friend, uh, Candorous, and 
together at this sort of club they're talking and so um asks he asks you know this is where we get some of the backstory in this novel from the mandalorian wars uh now revan says he can't remember a lot of the wars here because of what happened and he believes it's from the jedi blocking his brain blocking out you know his past and Revan does recall killing Mandalore the Ultimate, and he remembers that he took his ceremonial helmet and hid it, but he doesn't remember where. Mm. Um, this essentially, because he took the helmet away, is what forced the Mandalorians to surrender. And remember, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Right. So he essentially is asking for Candorus's help because Candorus is also a Mandalorian, even though he's not you know, with the Mandalorian tribe right now. Yeah, he's working as a mercenary, but he he's yeah. he fought the Jedi in the Mandalorian Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's just basically chilling. And he even says to Revan, he's basically saying, you know, I've been kind of feeling lost since the war ended, and uh, you back here with me now, this is what I've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. So Revan returns to the Jedi Temple seeking his, you know, former uh, friend and colleague Mitra, Mitra Surik. And, uh, you know, Revan learns that she is no longer at the temple. Um, oh, hold on one second. I stumbled over my own notes here. You're good. <laughs> Basically learning that she is no longer at the temple because after the Mandalorian War, she lost her connection to the force. She had to cut herself off mm-hmm. and she has not been able to regain that since. Now, uh, Revan believes that, you know, the Jedi are wrong and what he, you know, what they've been doing. He believes they're wrong and uh, not following his new teachings, what he learned during his journey into the Outer Rim, because he believes the Jedi need to use love and friendship to their advantage the same way the Sith use anger and hate. You know, mm. they need to take advantage of those emotions instead of burying them. He learns from his master artist that when Mitra returned, she had cut herself off from the Force. So this is the first time he's hearing about this, too. And so he, you know, has no idea where she'd be. He can't go find her. So now Revan meets Candorus again, and he learns that the Mandos are searching for the Mandalore the Ultimate's mask on Rekiad, which is a frozen wasteland planet. They agree they should be there to help a tribe find it, so that way it's a tribe who will be, you know, a peaceful tribe and lead the Mandalorians into prosperity mm. and not, you know, some tribe who's just going to take them to war again. Uh, again, exactly. Now, when Revan goes back home to tell Bastila, you know, what's happening and to say he's going to be going on this journey, she tells Revan that uh, she's pregnant and due to this, she can't come with him, but she agrees he must go even though, you know. He resists at first. He doesn't yeah. want to. So Revan, along with Candorus, board the Ebon Hawk, and they head out for their adventure. Mm-hmm. Now, sorry, all of a sudden I'm getting like a million texts and phone calls. i got to put my phone on do start. <laughs> You're all good. All at once as I'm trying to read 17 paragraphs of notes. <laughs> um, so uh, Revan and Candorus, they go out, they land on Rikiad, and they meet, uh, let's see, they set out on foot onto the icy world, and they are stopped by Clan Ordo, which is just happens to be Candorus's last name. They are welcomed in until the new leader of Ordo questions Candorus and his return. Now, the leader, Vila, is actually Candorus's wife, and he's been away <laughs> for a couple of years. So uh, not only does Revan have to get around that awkwardness, he's also got to convince them for help. 
Yeah, I know it's a Mando business, but this is a family problem. <laughs> this is a little bit more of an issue. Yeah, so they're in the camp. Revan is explaining, hey, I think I know. You know, and of course, I should point out here in case it's not obvious, every Mandalorian knows who Revan is. Yeah. But while Revan was fighting them, he actually wore his mask that a lot of people picture him in. And yes. by the way, that mask is a Mandalorian mask as well that he wears. And so no one really knows what he looks like. So here these Mandalorians are going along with his plan, but they're very suspicious of him because how do you know all this? How do you know about this? And, and you know, how are you, Revan? He died. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, uh, overnight, you know, they're kind of sleeping, camped out on this snowy planet in their tents. Uh, Revan has a memory come to him in his sleep. He wakes Candorous and tells him where he believes the mask to be. They meet with Vila and the others to discuss. Uh, Vila doesn't believe Revan, but, you know, he urges her to listen. They move the camp, knowing there will be a fight for the territory with other clans on the planet. Mm -hmm. After two long days of travel during the second night... Uh, another clan, Clan Gendril, attacks. Uh, now, Revan, having to use his lightsaber, destroyed one of four Basilisk droids the enemy was using, allowing the six Basilisk pilots of Clan Ordo to get to their mounts. Now, I know, Mac, you got all excited when I just said that. Basilisk war droids are awesome. So let's talk about it. They're basically like dragon droid machines that are also sort of human. Uh so, well, basically what they have is they are a... Um, Think of the generic kind of, not look, but the proportions of a, like, rancor. They've got a big, broad back and shoulders, long kind of clawed hands, and a kind of muzzly maw on the front. Except for the fact that they, A, are way thicker. Like, they don't have spindly arms. They have big clawy arms. They are machines, because they are war droids. And yes, Mandalorians use them like mounts. Um, and they have blaster cannons built into them. And, and in the Tales of the Jedi era, they are sort of like the signature weapon of the Mandalorians. Beyond their armor and their own, like, you know, group of weapons, mm -hmm. the next most famous thing about the Mandalorians is they come riding these war mounts yeah. and to they, fight starships. And they are deadly. They are insanely they are, powerful. You know, one person on a single one of these could defeat you know maybe an entire group of stormtroopers on their own on the i mean that's how powerful they are and how powerful how much of an advantage they give them correct so revan candoras vila and five basilisk riders climb the slope where they believe the mask of mandalore the ultimate is hidden arriving at the top raven and candoras climb into a discovered metal hatch going further down into the icy spear they discover a sith and exile tomb and Revan remembers being here before with Malak after the end of the Mandalorian Wars. He remembers mm -hmm. leaving the mask here. Vila and the riders come in, saying they know who Revan is and want to kill him. They attack, and Candorus is forced to kill Vila and the other riders. Ugh. Yeah. So, basically, at this point, Revan is beginning to uncover his past. He's learning some of these places he stopped with Malak along the way on their journey outside of the known galaxy. Again, which lines up with the, the message we're given in, in KOTOR 2 is mm -hmm. it's the fog of his mind. doesn't mm -hmm. He doesn't remember what happened 
yeah. that caused him to come back with the Starforge knowledge and stuff. So he wanted to retrace his steps. And that's, again, what you do in two is you retrace some of his steps as you're trying to figure out the yeah. same mystery of what's out there. It's very, very interesting. I, I do wish I had a, a chance to play these games when they had come out because They're I'd love now. to have some of this knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Revan tells Candorus that the tomb belongs to Lord Dramath II. His father, the first Dramath, ruled over the planet Madrius. Dramath was overthrown by another Sith named Lord, here we go, Vitaiti. Vitaiti? Vitiate. Vitiate. I don't know. Vitier. The Emperor. He was overthrown by the Emperor. Who renamed the planet Nathema. (laughs) The younger Sith fled and died here on Rikiad. A Sith emissary had come to Mandalore to tell them about a vision the Sith had rising of the Republic. They used dark side powers to trick Mandalore into attacking Mando into attacking. Mandalore the Ultimate didn't realize he was tricked until he was dying at Revan's feet. He then told Revan about this tomb. Now, in this tomb, Revan discovers a holocron that has coordinates to Nathema, this planet where this Sith Lord is originally from. Mm-hmm. Now, Candorus dons the helmet and proclaims himself Mandalore the Preserver. Preserver. Yeah. So at this point, their sort of friendship journey together ends. Candorus goes back as this new ruler of Mandalore with the helmet. Mm-hmm. And uh, presumably, you know, reigns over a prosperous time for the Mandalorian culture that is peaceful. Well, it's one of the interesting things is because when you pick him up as a party member in uh, KOTOR 2, he is already become Mandalore. And you don't really get that story. So that's really cool. That book kind of fills in that gap because that's all he really talks about is like what you just told me. I think I knew in KOTOR as like through a lot of personal hardships and struggles, I took the reign of Mandalore. Ah, And now we're like, oh, personal hardships. What does that mean? I killed my wife. (laughs) Like, Pretty much. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a different. That's different than my brain would have headcanoned that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny the way the galaxy works, isn't it? It is. All right. Now we should also point out that uh, Revan and up until this point, Candorus are really only about forty percent of the story. A right. big chunk of the story is Lord Scourge, who is a you know Sith Lord, who is a uh, you know, essentially a prominent warrior. He's not a soldier, but he's also not a member of the Dark Council, like the people directly working with the Emperor. He's more in between. He's very powerful. He leads worldly assaults, but he's not politically, he's more like middle, like 10th in line for the presidency type of thing. Some lower, yeah, Yeah. right? Like, he's up there, but not as high as maybe he'd want to be, right? There's also... A character named Darth Nyrus. Now, mm-hmm. Nyrus is another uh, Sith Lord, except she is extremely powerful and a member of the Dark Council to the Emperor, uh, which is, by the way, the Dark Council is like 12 Sith who are extremely powerful uh, and generally very old and accomplished and all that, who sort of work directly with the Emperor. However, very clearly, not a democracy. No, 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 no. no. So uh, oligarchy. Yeah. There's a ruling council and their word is law. <laughs> so as uh, Revan heads for Nathema 
And remember, he is now by himself, other than he's with his droid, T5. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nyrus and Scourge are also heading for Nathema because on their end, they know that the Emperor is planning to attack the Republic. And Scourge doesn't believe their empire is powerful enough. He believes they'll lose. And he is literally trying to stop the Emperor from attacking because he does not want the Empire to fall. And he believes that's what's going to happen. So, Scourge and Iris head to Nathema where they discover a barren planet. The Emperor performed a dark side ritual here, absorbing the essence of everything in the Force, leaving nothing behind. So, this was essentially avoid this planet even though it's there there's no people there's no animals the force is just gone from it the emperor is basically taken and absorbed everything from this planet right killing all the life yes now the other way he was able and this is by the way how the emperor rose to power not only did he have this dark side ritual that imbued him with all this power but he invited i think it was like a dozen of the most you know powerful sith politicians or however you want to put it you know the most powerful sith in the pecking order to do this ritual with him up until this point he was a you know pretty middle of the pack unknown sith right he was able to use this ancient ritual to capture all of their essence and uh empower himself Mm -hmm. and this was over a thousand years ago right this emperor has lived since then due to the power he's gained from essentially sucking the life out of a planet Mm -hmm. so Nyrus and Scourge, Nyrus sort of is the one showing him this, like letting him know. And he's basically like, yeah, this can't happen. Like, we can't let the Emperor do this. This is, you know, this level of destruction is not natural. It can't, it's this not. This is an atrocity no matter which way you want to look at yeah. it. Because it's not like the planet was just blown up or eradicated of its dominant species. It's like it was removed from life. Like, it's just all of its ties to the natural world have been cut. Yeah, it, it's... It, Made to unexist rather than be murdered. Yeah. So as Nyrus and Scourge are leaving the planet, Revan's ship comes out of hyperspace. And, well, Nyrus sees it and his ship is disabled and he crash lands on Nathema. Mm-hmm. So Revan crashes onto Nathema and Scourge retrieves him from his ship. Now, Nyrus recognizes him and they take him to torture, essentially. They believe that he had beaten the mind control of the Emperor... And they can use that to turn his followers against him. Hmm. So basically, this part of the book ends with Revan being taken captured, being taken back to the Sith Empire. And four years pass, Mac. For four Hmm. years, our titular character, our protagonist, is in prison by the Sith. Right. So four years since Revan left... Bastilla has been in hiding with their three-year-old son. During Revan's time away, the Jedi were all but wiped out in a l- war led by Kriya, Darth Treya, killing tens of thousands. Mm. Yep. Now, Mitra, who was exiled, as we remember, finds Bastilla, and after she helps defeat Treya, uh, and they help and helps defeat Treya. Now, T3 returns to uh, Mirik. But has with info on Revan. So they learn that the ship crashed on Nathema and that T3 reassembled the ship and got back to Republic Space. He helped Mitra and now they have returned to Bastila to tell her the news. So Mitra sets out with Revan's mask, 
who Bastila had it and gives it to her, mm-hmm. and T3, Revan's droid, to find out what happened to Revan. Yep. So Mitra and T3 arrive on Nathema and discover uh, essentially a hall of records where they learn about the planet. They learn about um, a little bit about what happened there. Uh, and also it's where we learn about how Mitra regained her connection to the Force years after the Battle of Malachor with the, you know, Mandalorians and all that. Uh, and that slowly over time she was essentially just able to open herself back up and sort of retrain herself to reconnect to the Force. Now, she learns through the records of what happened on Nathema and also learns of a route to Drummond Cast, the Sith capital. Throne world. Yeah, think of Coruscant, but for the Sith. Yes. Now, Lord Scourge has been interrogating Revan for the years he's been in captivity. He is fascinated with him and his power. So Scourge knows, can feel how powerful Revan is. And Revan has not, you know break been able to be broken uh in fact revan believes he has you know sort of slowly been building an alliance with his captor trying to use scourge to help him escape then revan has a a vision of mitra coming and he knows that you know she must be coming to rescue him and for the first time in a couple of years revan has true hope that maybe he'll get out now Mitra basically arrives on the planet. She uh, works with, you know, well, she pursues some leads and meets some local people who are involved in Nyrus's sort of group and um, essentially learns where Revan might be hidden. Uh, and so let's see here, because I don't want to give you unimportant information. You're all good. Uh, let's see. So Revan, I'm going to try and do this more off the cuff because these notes aren't good for this. Uh, So Revan essentially tells Scourge that, you know, he's had a vision of being rescued. You know, Scourge believes that, well, it's really through Revan's confidence that Scourge believes uh, he can get out. So when Mitra arrives and takes out four other Sith guards and it's just her and Scourge, he believes this is Revan's idea of prophecy coming true. Uh, and convinces Mitra that they share a common goal in taking down the Empire. Mm-hmm. So, they agree to essentially work together and to get Revan out of jail. He proposes a distraction using the Emperor as help. So, Scourge goes to meet the Emperor. Um, you know, he goes in through the palace. He able is able to make his way in. The Emperor is very unassuming, black robes. Um, black eyes, which I found interesting. Yep. Uh, the air around him emanates with dark side energy. Uh, he speaks with an echo in his voice where it sounds like his voice is made up of many voices. Um, essentially, <laughs> to put it lightly, Scourge leaves and he is scared to death of the Emperor. That's basically what it is. Yeah. So he... Basically, Scourge tells the Emperor that, hey, Darth Nyrus has been betraying you. Mm -hmm. And the Emperor goes, well, if what you've told me is true, you know, I will not forget this. This will be a reward for you and we will take care of it. And so Scourge assumes he has, you know, maybe a day before uh, the Emperor goes and tries to raid Nyrus' stronghold. Uh, And so he goes and he goes to uh, try and get Revan out. And all of a sudden... The attack starts, and the Emperor's forces just invade Nyrus' stronghold. Now, luckily, 
the emperor told his troops to spare Scourge and anyone he's with. So he doesn't have to worry. Pretty much says, well, if I can stay out of the way, these troops hopefully won't try and kill me. And so he makes it in. And luckily, Revan was able to convince his captors uh, to stop them from executing him, which Mm -hmm. is what Nyrus ordered, you know, when the siege started. And so basically this escape plan happens and Revan and Scourge are able to escape the captivity and they basically head out to the outskirts to a beach to a cave where uh, T3 and Mitra are waiting. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of as we kind of build to the culmination of the book where Revan is able to see a uh, hollow projected message of his wife and son, and he's able to learn of their existence. And he says, basically, if we don't stop the emperor here and now, there's nothing we can do. You know, he'll become too powerful. Yep. He'll absorb more energy and he'll be unstoppable. So this is our only chance to stop him. And, Revan believes that, you know, he has the power to beat him. And when he gets his mask from Mitra, Mm -hmm. everything that he kind of forgot about his time away comes flooding back to him. He is fully back in control of his power. And, uh, well, he's feeling confident. So the three of them sneak into the throne room and attack the Emperor and Revan essentially fights with the Emperor and um, is able to break through his defenses. Mm. You know, it's not a one-sided fight in any way, which is what any other fight with the Emperor would have been. You know, they're landing blows on each other. They're able to fight with each other. There's finally someone who can go toe-to-toe with the Emperor. Yeah, and Revan believes, hey, I, I think I can actually do this. I think with the help of the others, we're strong enough. We can take him down. And so... At this point, Mitra and Scourge defeat the other guards, and they come rushing in. And as the three of them are standing there, and they see what's happening, um, Scourge has this vision. And he basically sees that Revan will not be the one to defeat the Emperor, but there will be another one, Jedi one day who will. And that this isn't the, you know, time and place where this is going to happen. It's very unlikely they'll be successful here. It's not meant to be. Yeah. Now, I do want to point out that the book also goes into a little bit of detail of, you know, well, always in motion the future is. This is just one of many possibilities. But Scourge believes it's the best chance. So he uh, takes a step to the side and stabs Mitra from behind Mm -hmm. and just stabs her through the back. And as she uh, falls to the ground and Revan kind of turns in shock, uh, Revan is basically incapacitated and captured. So uh, the Emperor comes over and he's like, okay, so tell me why I shouldn't kill you because you just led an insurrection. And uh, Scourge goes, well, Nyrus was betraying you. Uh, I learned about these captors who wanted to attack you. I brought them here so we could capture them. And, uh, yeah, I did a great job. Promote me. (laughs) And Scourge is basically internally saying, well, I still, we need to take you down, but this wasn't going to be the time. So I had to do what I could to stay close. So hopefully when the time comes, I can help defeat you. Be ready. Yeah. Yeah. And so at this point, we think this is the end. I mean, our hero is captured. What is he going to do? Well, he is put into a special prison. Yep. Where... Over years and years, his body is sort of suspended, you know, not able to die, but not able to really move or be free. He's kind of like in stasis. Yeah. And the emperor constantly uses him as a source of power 
drawing from him. He also uses him as a conduit to try and see force visions by looking through him. Yep. But through this connection, Revan is able, because uh, he also has Mitra's force ghost there with him to kind of keep him company and to draw on power from her, uh, he is able to sort of... Um, as he describes it, sort of soften the emperor's mind, sort of make it so he's more hesitant to attack. So he's more hesitant to use as much force he's to still invade fighting. the Republic. Yeah. He's still trying to fight for his, you know, family and his friends and for the idea of the Republic, even though he doesn't really know that the Jedi have fallen in his time since he's been away. Well, yeah. Cause in his purgatory, um, you know, he's out of his gourd. Like he yeah. can't really see things. <laughs> Because the thing he's trying to stop doesn't get stopped because 300 years later, that's where that note came from, uh, 300 years later, the Sith invade the galaxy. Yeah. And fairly easily overwhelm it. Yeah. Um, and push it all the way to Coruscant where they signed the Treaty of Coruscant. Yeah. And I'm not going to get into spoilers for the MORPG um, uh, The Old Republic because that is literally the central mystery is... They put their boot heel on our neck and then said, yeah, actually, you know what? Get back up. Why? <laughs> um, and that's one of the central mysteries. But there was content relevant to our story, which is there was Revan content that eventually came out where you and whatever your party is, you as the player, you go to that facility and you free this Jedi master and basically are just trying to get this guy out of here. And you're not sure, and the, he's he's kind of in and out and kind of weird. And then you eventually, as you go through that dungeon, you eventually get to a place where that Jedi Master, who's been talking in all these weird oblique angles, uh, finds a box of, of, they say, oh, these are my personal belongings, let me gather them. Like, oh, sure thing. And pulls out a violet lightsaber and a mask and puts it on and basically turns around to you and reveals that they're Revan. That this prison was built specifically for them, and they've been here for over 300 years, being tortured <laughs> into madness by the Emperor. And in that, basically, just says, and you know, again, this kind of thrust of you know, you're you're not worthy, <laughs> and you fight him, and then you beat Revan, and Revan is this you know emaciated, broken person. And as they're on the floor, they're basically like reflecting on, oh, I understood where Malik was. I understood the wanting to use your power to stop what you thought was an even greater evil, but becoming an evil yourself. And is basically like making peace with the end of their life. And Brevin dies. And part of him <laughs> becomes one with the force. Yeah. But because Revan's a really cool character, that's not where the story ends because the hatred, the dark side energy, the parts of him that always wanted to go dark side, the parts that had been essentially dredged up during these years and years of torture stays lingering with the body, which recovers. And so dark Revan starts an ins just a absolutely brutal campaign to destabilize the empire. Now the empire during the course of that game's events already is essentially getting destabilized. Um, 
but there's all these rumors of the Emperor has disappeared from the galactic stage, but he will return, and we must be ready for his return. Everyone's like, not on my watch. <laughs> I'm going to kill all of you, I'm going to rule this thing, and we're going to make this right. We're going to fix this. And Revan, you know, basically is involved in redredging up starts of the infant empire that was started by the Starforge and finding more Starforge, uh, Starforge caches of technology and starts a campaign and basically is almost a th- almost a third faction in this game between the Sith Empire and the Republic. And by the end, you as the player character eventually go and confront him and try to defeat him, but can't. And then it's basically the other half of Revan is summoned through the force, the good half. And with their help, you defeat Revan again. And then that half joins with Dark Revan to form the whole as Revan becomes, I guess, I guess under current views of the force, he may have been a force dyad of himself. (laughs) Because he lived these two lives that were very different. Um, because Revan was a bad guy, canon, and then in the Knights of the Republic, he's a good guy, canon. So it's this strange kind of mix, and when they harmonize with each other, it finally dispels the influence and energies of both sides of them, allowing the galaxy to sort of be uncoupled from whatever Revan's destiny is, and it can kind of proceed along without him having this insanely unnatural life and all this deep, profound connection to all these events in the history of the galaxy. Yeah. Yes. And as the two spirits merge together, as the two versions of Revan merge together, they uh, essentially then fade back into the force, only leaving the mask and the lightsaber behind. Right. Which you can pick up, which are equipables, I believe you can wear in the game, defeating all sense of, you know, importance <laughs> there. Um, but that's that's how games work. Um, that so that's sort of the end of Revan. I mean, the thing about Revan is Revan is a mystery box. He's kind of like a, a, a certain generation's Boba Fett, like the who's under the helmet. And then, of course, we eventually got answers. And you're like, of course, they weren't as interesting as the question who's under the helmet. Um but Revan is super interesting in the sense of it, it is, depending on your point of view, because things will greatly depend on your point of view, Revan is either a fantastically interesting explorations of the ins and outs of the dark side and the light side and how one being can vacillate between the two of them and that there is a middle, there is a place of balance between those two halves of yourself. Alternatively, he is also fan fiction nonsense that is basically light side and dark side. He can be both. He's that cool. So it depends on your point of view. I'm generally okay with Revan, mostly because when you take it from the sense of a player in a video game generally having agency, I really like that. It's your choices that make that character what they are, and that's fascinating to me. And I love that dichotomy anytime you have a video game where you're like a former criminal, like in, say, Red Dead Redemption, the first game. You know, there's that great thing of like, do I fall back to my old ways or do I redeem myself? That's an interesting choice for a player to either dive into or against. Revan gets weird the further you go along because, again, once you are writing a book, once you're drawing a comic book, once you're you know hiring a voice actor, you've got to start making choices of is it a guy or is it a gal? Is it a human? You know, are, what kind of human are they? What canon endings happened in the video games? Mm-hmm. Which sort of unravel why I think that character was made as a person behind a mask all the time. It was to make it so you could put whatever you wanted behind the mask. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but Revan is captured the imaginations of people um, in fandom. You know, there's all kinds of Revan material because it's also kind of like I get to cosplay as a dark Jedi and a Mandalorian. Sweet. <laughs> um, and Revan exists in all kinds of paraphernalia, too. He's got a black series, right? Two now. Two. He has a dark and a light black series now. A light, so I guess again leaning into there's a canon answer for who Revan was, or is the hood just really, really deep and it's just a black shadow for a face? So on both of them, he's wearing the Mandalorian mask. Uh, okay. One he's in his black robes, and one he's in more like white and brown robes. That makes sense. Uh, but and I think the the dark side one comes with his red and purple saber. I think the light side one only comes with a purple saber. Yeah, he has a violet lightsaber. But that's I also thought on the cover of the Revan novel, he has a green saber, I'm pretty sure. Well, remember, um, mine had an orange lightsaber. Mm, yes. Because when I got my lightsaber and I put the crystal in, I chose which one I wanted. Yeah. And orange was never available in Star Wars before, so I'm like, what's an orange lightsaber look like? And I just ran with that. I like, feel you, yeah. So again, there isn't, there wasn't supposed to be a canon color, but... Then there had to be a canon color. I gotcha. Um, which is good because Galaxy's yeah. Edge is very happy that you said that violet is also a dark side color because they were like, well, we don't want to just sell red lightsabers. <laughs> um, and Revan's sort of last thing is we, we made the joke at the top of the show is Revan has returned to canon as a influential dark lord of the Sith in the past because much like Axar Kun and a handful of other names, He's a name of one of the legions of the Sith Eternals armed forces. Yes, the third legion. Um, this was brought back into Revan was brought drugged back and dragged back into canon by Pablo Hidalgo, who when he uh, issued the Rise of Skywalker uh, visual dictionary, mm-hmm. he put a few Sith lords into canon by saying that while the Sith are the only ones who know the significance of these names ancient Sith Lords like Revan have been used to name their divisions. Yep. So again, establishing that there is a prominent figure in Sith history named Revan somewhere. And it's probably ours. I've always stated that while the Knights of the Republic and last, uh, you know, tales of the lost tales of the Jedi stuff is not Canon because it is certainly not. Because of how old it is in the timeline, Disney hasn't touched any of it. So there's nothing that really has completely undone it. It's not like if you really like Truce of Bakura, like you can go, but maybe it still happened. No, <laughs> there's no way for for so many EU stories, so many legend stories. There's no functional way for them to exist. Whereas since all of the Knights of the Republic stuff is 3,000 plus years in the rearview mirror of the galaxy, there's nothing that has upset whether it happened or not. So it sort of sits in this more quasi thing of like the second Disney right signs off on a Knights of the Republic like remaster, it becomes canon again and it wouldn't affect anything. So um, I think that's one of the other reasons Revan has endured is because he's not nearly as washed away by mm-hmm. new canon mm-hmm. as many other characters. Well, hopefully uh, with sort of this now focus uh, outside of the sequel trilogy and with, uh, as you said, we had two Revan Black series in the last two years. Uh, We're about to get a Revan Funko Pop along with a Malik Funko Pop. So maybe, you know, Disney hears and uh, that's a character we'll see return to canon. Who knows? Maybe it's a character we'll see on film. 
Maybe. I mean, it's it's a super interesting character. Everyone likes them. I, I just, my whole thing is I just wish they were still the mystery box. I, I like mm-hmm. in an age where we're learning how to say pronouns better, I would have loved to Revan be a they, them, than a he, she. <laughs> That's um, fair. Yeah. You know, like I would love them to be like, a, no one knows what Revan is because who's seen yeah. under the helmet? Dead people. Dead people have seen <laughs> under the helmet. Um, but it's also, again, it's always this weird quasi thing because, again, that Revan content I, ma- I mentioned, I'm pretty sure was published after the Disney acquisition. So it's like, was well, that canon? No. But, but like, it's closer than most. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, it's a character who I think for the time being, until we get some more, will continually pique a lot of interest among mm-hmm. uh, fans and collectors and whatnot. And uh, I think it's going to be exciting because I truly, truly believe we're going to get Revan more back into canon here within the next couple of years. So yeah. I'll be interested to see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Mac, I think we're ready to uh, fly on home. Let's put this away. Star Wars is for everyone. Every day, we have the ability and opportunity to create a more accepting world by actively coming together and living inclusively. Whether it's the galaxy far, far away or right here at home, there's always a chance to do even small things to include other people, let them know that they're loved. Just regardless of the differences we have between us, what makes us in common is far more important. Yeah, Star Wars loves and accepts all, and it's always been about that. And here we are in 2020, Star Wars more inclusive than ever. I can't tell you how many different people from different walks of life, different ability levels, different races, creeds, genders, that were all together at Star Wars Celebration to celebrate the things we love. Sometimes it feels like you're fighting against the Empire when you're trying to champion what's right. But remember, it takes all of us to fight an Empire. So join us and everyone else in the galaxy and learn how you can come together at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. episode of star wars all in comes to an end for realsies this time uh as we actually finish our conversation about the dark lord revan yes it is nice to be able to say we can put revan away and we don't have to play with him again until he comes back into another canon story Mm -hmm. uh this was pretty good we got relatively exhaustive without spoiling every detail we're trying to strike that fine balance we haven't we don't know if even after a half year we've quite found how much detail is too much detail it's hard to figure out where is the encyclopedia entry go and where does giving away the entirety of a story come in yeah so we're working on that so if you have any feedback for us please let us know um who knows? Maybe next time uh, we get together for a single topic like this, we'll be doing Malik or 
some other character from this area. From yeah, this era. I mean, the fun thing about this is we, we dug deep into something from Legends content, which we generally try to shy away from our, our, our legend stuff. Usually we try to keep it as footnotes to the canon mm-hmm. rather than focus on it. Um, but, you know, there are some characters that only exist in legends. Like if we ever did a Jaina solo or, you know, something yeah. like that, like we're, we're going to be talking about. So in another timeline, this happened. <laughs> um, it's just a long kind of the time of ago. It. An elephant stepped on a butterfly, and things changed drastically. <laughs> and with the sound of thunder, we were in the world where there are the twin solos versus just Ben. But that's not our universe. <laughs> I. Uh... I'm not gonna. I really wish Revenge of the Sith had a happy ending. Sorry, not Revenge of the Sith. The Rise of Skywalker. I really wish the Rise of Skywalker had had a happy ending. Oh, that's basically all I'll say. I uh, let's leave it as an unqualified. Sure. I think it ends on a positive note, mostly because you just made me think of Revenge of the Sith like it ends on a better note than that. Well, (laughs) I would say yeah, it's about as positive. Like. I, I think wanted it's a, a celebration happy ending. I didn't want a downer ending. I think that my thing about it is I think it ends on as much of a happy ending as Return of the Jedi does when you think about what actually happens after Return of the Jedi now. Like, they have the teddy bear picnic and we all feel great. We're celebrating the death of the Emperor, the destruction of Vader, Vader moving on to the Force. We're all happy. And then another year of intense war happens right yeah, after that until it actually is over, right? Same kind of thing of like, we finish the battle and we kind of end on this bittersweet moment of like, I guess the emperor is defeated, but at what cost and all the things that we did. And did we bring the galaxy together? Are we really going to be able to put this thing together? And they leave you with the gravity of there's a mess of a galaxy to clean up. Um, But Ray has a happy ending. She gets a family name. She knows who she is. She moves on with her life, life stronger than ever. And, while have may have lost some stuff, gained a lot of stuff, and is maybe finally the whole complete person she was always hunting to be. I'd like to believe that. Maybe maybe now that she's a diet, maybe like Dark Revan, when Light Revan joins forces, <laughs> she can live in a harmonious way. She's got Ben be Solo's it. energy, much like that planet being absorbed into the Emperor, has been absorbed into her. That must be it. Yeah. And, uh, well, the point of the matter is, I wish it ended on an ending that doesn't need to be followed up because it certainly did not end on a definitive ending to say, and then Ray went off. You probably know what happened to her. I was like, no, that's a story for another time. You're going to have to eventually round back to that because you didn't leave it with enough catharsis and closure for us to stop thinking about. Well, I, I mean, I said it at the time and I think we are far enough away from it that I can say it again with a, even a little more confidence. If you don't think there's an episode 10, you're crazy. (laughs) I'm not saying how soon it's going to be. I'm not saying what it's going to be. I'm just saying if you think the story ends there and Disney will publish nothing after the events of episode nine, you're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also believe that we will get that content. I don't know if it will be called episode 10, though. That's kind of where my foot is. And that's where I, this is, and that's where it becomes a bet between us. Because I do think there'll be a big old X. It's too good for the marketing team to give up. I hear you. Well, we'll find out. And we, the future is always in motion. The future.
Yes, it is. It's a story we will have to explore another time. But we are done exploring Revan's story, and we are done exploring stories this time. So I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday, may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.